We just, um, we just finished up a series of messages called, Hello, My Name is Freedom, and we talked about three things that, that we think we need to focus on as a church if we're going to accomplish our mission, which is helping people discover the true freedom that only Christ can give. And those three things we talked about were grow towards Christ, develop real relationships, and love people. And I'm so excited about what we're, talking, we're going to be talking about today and through the next several weeks as we look at the book of James. Because the book of James is one of the most practical books in all of the Bible. There are parts of the Bible sometimes that you can read, and I, I, know, I know this. There's parts you can read sometimes you're like, man, that's confusing to me. And there's parts you read and you have to reread it several times to figure out exactly what it's saying. The book of James is not one of those books. The book of James is, is, that's why we're calling this straight talk. It's just right in your face. This is the way things are. This is the way God operates. This is the way you should operate in relationship to God. And so I'm excited about the timing of us doing this series of messages right after the one we just finished because we're going to every week be looking at ways that we can grow towards Christ, we can develop real relationships, and we can love people. It's all through the book of James. And so uh, we're going to start today with the first 12 verses from James chapter 1. And, uh, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to read the first verse, and then I'm going to read a big chunk after that, and, and then we're just going to talk about who James is and what we're supposed to do. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, start with James 1, verse 1, and it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, this, this starts off like a lot of the books in the New Testament because this is a letter. And if you've ever read any of the New Testament, if you read books like Ephesians and Galatians and Corinthians and some of those books, those were all written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul always starts his letters off with a greeting, letting you know, hey, this is Paul. I'm the one writing the letter. James is the same way. He's saying, here I am. I'm James. I'm a servant of God and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing you this letter. Now, who was James? Are we talking about, was this James the, the, the disciple of Jesus? You know, Peter, James, and John. James, who was John's brother? Is that who this is? Most people don't think that was this James. This James is actually the brother of Jesus. See, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, uh, Jesus was their first child. And, and then after Jesus was born, they continued to build their family, and Jesus had younger brothers. And this was one of Jesus' younger brothers was James. And he grew and, and began to believe that his brother was not just his big brother, but his brother was the Son of God. And he began to follow him, and he dedicated his life to him. And after Jesus left and went back to heaven after his resurrection, James was a worker who would start churches and who would teach and so this was that James. He was a servant of God and a servant of Jesus Christ, the younger brother of the Lord Jesus. And it says that he's writing this to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. See, all the, book, all the letters of Paul are pretty clear who he was writing them to. He would say, I'm Paul, I'm writing this to the church at Galatia, to the church at Ephesus. This says, I'm writing this to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. What in the world does that mean? Well, it's some Old Testament language. You remember in the Old Testament, there were the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And so in, in the book of Acts, you've got the folks that, that were Jews and who now have given their lives to Jesus and they're now followers of Christ. And in the book of Acts, it tells us that it, there was this time there was this guy named Stephen. And Stephen was preaching the gospel. And the people got so upset about what he was saying about Jesus that they stoned him. They took rocks and they threw them at him until he died. And then the scripture says in the book of Acts, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jesus Christ. And it said that the followers of Jesus scattered throughout the region. And so James is writing this letter to all of the followers of Jesus, wherever they might be right now. At one time, they were pretty much all located in Jerusalem. Now they're scattered out throughout the world. So James is saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, what I'm about to write to you is for you. So really, in a lot of ways, James wrote this for us as well. Now, he didn't know that there would be a Freedom Fellowship. He didn't know that there would be a South Carolina or even a United States at that time. But he knew there are going to be followers of Jesus all throughout the world, wherever that might be. And this is for them. And so as we read these words today, and as, we, as, you, as you read through the book of James, I hope you'll read through it several times over the next few weeks. As we do that, you'll, you'll see that, that so much of what's written in here, that it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like James has been reading your emails. It's almost like James has been following you around. Because he writes so practically, you're going to say, mm, I just struggled with that last week. And so, so the book of James, is, is that's what it's about. Now, I'm going to read verses 2 through 11, and, uh, and then we'll talk today about, about what we're going to discuss. James 1, 2 through 11. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Whatever it is in life that you're involved in, the perspective you have about that situation makes a huge difference. Uh, one of my favorite older TV shows, uh, Seinfeld, there's a great episode where Kramer has been taking karate lessons. And he gives Elaine some advice based on what he's learned in karate. And he tells her that he is dominating in his karate class. And so she thinks... This must be what I'm supposed to do because it's helping Kramer dominate his karate class. So she begins making decisions based on what Kramer has told her, the advice he's given her. And then only to find out later on in the episode that the reason Kramer is dominating his karate class is because it's all little children other than him. 
And so that totally changes what Elaine thought about Kramer's advice because she had one perspective and then she found out what the true perspective was and it totally changed things. Or think about, think about temperature. Our, our perspective totally has everything to do with what we think about temperature. Just this past week, has, has the weather not been awesome around here? It's been awesome. And, and we've had like high temperatures of like 75, 78 degrees. And you know what you said to your husband or your wife or your kids or your friends when you got home? You said, you know what? Man, it was nice and cool today. It felt so cool out there. The first week of March when it was 75, you know what you said? Man, it feels so good. It's warm outside today. It's the exact same temperature. But what changes? Your perspective changes. In wintertime, 75 is warm. After the end of summer, 75 is cool. But it's the exact same temperature. But what changes is your perspective about it. Or take our money, for instance. When you, you compare yourself to, to Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, you say, man, I'm poor. I just don't have anything. But if you compare what you make compared to what the rest of the world averages in salary per year, you say, well, I'm rich. Same amount of money. But what's the difference? The difference is our perspective that we see things through. When we read the, this first 12 verses of the book of James and verses 2 through 11 that I just read you, one of the things that we see in, in here is that God's perspective is different than our perspective. We see things a certain way as human beings, and that's our perspective. In fact, we see things as American human beings, and that's our perspective. But God has a different perspective in life, and we have to understand what his perspective is, and we have to begin to live based on the way he sees things. And there's two things in here in these first uh, two, verses 2 through 11. Two things in here that are real obvious to me that are different than our perspective. And the first one is this. In God's perspective, difficult is good. Difficult is good. That's your first point. If you were taking notes, write that down. Difficult is good. Look at verses 2 through 4. It says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, when you first read that, you think, man, maybe James is like being sarcastic or something. He's saying trials, difficult times in life, that, that we should consider that not just joy, but pure joy, as if this is one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me because I'm going through this difficult time in life. And see, that is so different than the way we live. We avoid difficulty. All of us avoid difficulty, don't we? Uh, think, about, think about when, uh, I remember when I was in college, and, and, and you'd be in a class, and, and it'd be real, real it'd be a, a professor, and it'd be just, he'd be the hardest professor that there was on campus, and then somebody would come in class, and they'd be like, it'd be like the day before the drop ad period ends, and they'd say, dude, I'm dropping this thing. I'm going to take it next semester under this other professor because I hear he's really easy. It had nothing to do with, Hey, I want to learn as much as I can and make the most of my college experience. It had, I want to do what's easy, right? That's, that's the way we tend to live our lives. Think about those of you that are parents. As a parent, you have dreams about what your child's life is going to be like. And none of you as parents ever dream of, man, I just think my, it's going to be awesome if my child experiences a lot of difficulty. 
Maybe if they get married and their husband dies of a disease, that would really be a learning experience for my daughter. We don't think that way. Why? When we think about our kids, we think about what we want for our kids. We think about times that are prosperous. We think about times that are easy on them. We think about times that won't challenge them emotionally. None of us dream of difficulty for our children. And so our view is in life is we see difficulty, we see hard times, and we think, ah, that's, that's bad. The hard, times are, hard times are tough. That, that's not what we want. But God's view is, is that difficult can be good. In fact, I, I hate to just blow the, your view of who God is, but in fact, God will actually use trials in our life. God will take those things and He will use them to grow us. And see, part of us, we, we think about that and, and, and we think, I don't want to believe that difficult times are part of God's plan for my life. We think somehow we don't deserve to be treated that way. Verses 2 and 3, it says this, Consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance see god uses the the difficult times he uses the trials in our life to prove how genuine our faith is now we're not proving it to him he already knows but we're proving it to ourselves as we live through those things we begin to see i really do believe this i really do want to follow jesus i really do want to grow in him i really want to become more like him every day and it's those difficult times where that is proved out it's like trials are the are the laboratory where, where god uses that to, to to prove how faithful we are and before we get all bent out of shape and think well i don't deserve to be a lab rat that god gives me difficulty just so i can prove how faithful i am Jesus, when he was on earth, he endured trials. And why should we think that we deserve anything better than him? In fact, his whole time on this earth was a trial. Imagine being God. Imagine having created everything. Imagine having all power and coming to earth and by your choice saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to limit myself by putting myself in this human body. And I'm going to experience physical pain. And I'm going to experience temptation i'm going to experience all these things that, that human beings experience that was a trial all of that was and if jesus is going to go through difficult times then we should understand that we are going to as well but it's for our good verse 3 says because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance is the the ability to withstand difficulty it's the it's, the, it's, it's the, the ability to, when tough times come, that you make it through and you don't wither and you don't fall apart. You don't lose your faith. And that is not automatically given to you when you receive Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus and, and He forgives you of sin, you don't automatically get, okay, here, you're, you're a follower of Jesus now. Now here's all the perseverance you're ever going to need. No, what he tells us there is, is that perseverance is something that develops in you over time. It doesn't come naturally. It's after you exercise your faith day after day, year after year, it begins to develop in you. Verse 4 says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature 
and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you in here, if you would, if you don't mind raising your hand, how many of you in here have been married less than 10 years? Raise your hand up if you don't mind. Awesome, all right? How many of you in here have been married more than 25 years? Raise your hand up, all right? I, I can't. I'm, I've been married 21, not more than 25. Now, those of you that have been married 25 years or more, by the way, I should have said to the same person. I didn't want you like, well, if you add up my three marriages, yeah, it comes up to 27 years. 25 years or more to the same person. All right. Um, if you talk to these folks that have been married 25 years or more, they will tell you that it hasn't been 25 years of smooth sailing. They will tell you that there were times when they didn't want to hear the other one's voice. They will tell you that there were times that they thought, if she comes home with another brand new bag of clothes when we can't pay the bills, or if he buys another boat and tells me why it's going to be so much better for us as a family, they'll tell you that there's been difficulty, there's been trials. That's, that's part. But here's what they will also tell you, is they'll tell you that, that part, of, part of going through those trials, that as they push through that, as they, as they began to understand each other better, that it made their marriage stronger. That those trials, they'll, they'll tell you that, that a disease, that, that one of them having cancer, yes, it was difficult, but it made their marriage stronger. They'll tell you that addiction, maybe one of them was addicted to, to something that was damaging to them, and it made their marriage stronger as they worked their way through that. They'll tell you so many different things that they've gone through that now their marriage is better and they are more mature, and their marriage is more complete than it's ever been. It's the same thing with your faith in Christ. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be exactly what you need it to be right today, but as you go through those trials, as you begin to say, despite what's happened here, I still believe Jesus, I still believe that He's faithful, and whatever He says I'm going to do, Whatever that is, as you make your way through that, your faith is going to be more mature. You'll be stronger than you've ever been. See, when it comes to trials and difficulty, we shouldn't avoid those things. We should embrace them. Not because we're like some kind of masochist and we just enjoy going through hard times but we should embrace those things not because because we like exactly what's going on but we should embrace them because we know what it's going to do for us we know that god is going to grow us through that so the second thing that i think we can learn out of this that's different than our perspective is money is not the answer money is not the answer Verses 9 through 11 says this, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. 
Now, when I say to you, money is not the answer, chances are you, you agree with me right off the bat. You're like, yes, Cliff, you're right. The Beatles sang, money can't buy me love, and I believe what they say. Money is not the answer. And, and you probably, you know, you believe that in your heart when you say that. Yes, money can't, you know, can't buy you a relationship, can't buy you love, can't buy you happiness. Money's not the answer. And we believe that philosophically. But practically, do we believe it? See, here, here's a test for you. There's been two times in the last year or so where the Powerball lottery has just reached ridiculous numbers, like $300 million. Now, when that happened, here's what I did. And some of y'all are like, oh, Cliff's about to tell us that he buys lottery tickets. No, I didn't buy lottery tickets. What I do is I just pray that y'all that buy lottery tickets will win it, and then you'll understand that you're supposed to tithe on that, right? No, here's, here's, what, here's what happens Every time, every time the Powerball gets that high, here's what happens. is I start to think to myself, man, what would I do with all that money? And in my mind, you know, I'm paying for college tuitions. I'm paying off the house. I'm buying a house at the beach. I'm paying for my nephews and my niece's college tuition. I'm buying people new cars. I'm like Oprah, you know, come up here one Sunday morning like, hey, everybody's got a Cadillac, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, in my mind, I'm thinking all this stuff that I would do if I had that money. And here's the thing about that fantasy, is my life in that fantasy is always better than my life is now. And why is it better? Because of money in that fantasy. But I would say to you, James is right, money is not the answer, but practically, when I start thinking about what would make my life better, I think money would. Let me ask you this. What if I told you today, hey, I just talked to your boss, talked to the guy that owns your company. You're going to make 100000 more in 2013 than you did in 2012. Got it all worked up. 100000 more than you make right now. There's not a one of you in here that would say, oh, that's probably going to cause me a lot of problems. Don't know if I want to accept that. I might quit. No, all of us hear that and we think, 100,000 more? Man, that's going to make my life so much easier. See, when we think about money, we think about money being the answer. But verses 9 through 11 is so funny when you read that. Even the language in there shows that, that God's perspective is different because he says in there, the brother in humble circumstances, in other words, one who doesn't have much, he ought to take pride in his high position. See, we think if you don't have much, well, you're the lowest Lowest of the low. Low man on the totem pole. And then it says, but the one who is rich, so we think you're rich, you're living at the top of the hill, you got everything you need, you should take pride in your low position. See, James is saying that the perspective God has of money is so different than our perspective that we think we base our, our worth and, and, our, and, and our value on what we have and don't have. And if you have a lot, then you're valuable. If you don't have a lot, then, then nobody cares much about you. And, and James is saying God doesn't think that way. See, in, in fact, he talks in there about the, those who are brother in humble circumstances. Verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. And what he's saying there is, is don't fool yourself into believing that just because you don't have a lot, it doesn't mean that God has not blessed you. He says, take pride in your high position and understand that if you have a relationship with Jesus, 
then you have more than anybody who has millions of dollars who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. That that's what your position is based on. Your position is not based on how much money you have. Your position is based on where you stand in relationship to God. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are with God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that is a high position. And then those, when it says, but those who have much should take pride in his low position, he's not saying there, hey, it's a sin to have money. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying it's a, it's a sin to be rich, it's a, it's a sin to, to own a boat or have a vacation house. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, is that you have to be careful that you don't put your trust in that money. Take pride in your low position. Humble yourself before God. Just because you've got a lot of stuff, just because your 401k is huge, just because you've got a checking account that all of us would be jealous of. He says, whether you have all that stuff or not, understand that this is not about what you have. It's about where you stand in relationship to God. And whether you're rich or poor, you should humble yourself before God. And then the rest of verse 10 says, the one who is rich should take pride in his low possession because he will pass away like a wild flower. Then verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Rich and poor just alike are going to die one day. And the one who dies with the most toys doesn't win anything. The one who dies with the most toys just leaves a bunch of stuff for his kids to donate to Goodwill or have a yard sale with. But we get so out of whack when it comes to money. See, the folks that, that don't have a lot, they're easily discouraged. It's easy for them to feel like God doesn't love me. God's left me behind. And that's not a position that helps you grow towards Christ. And those who have a lot, it's easy for them to take pride in what they have and to begin to trust in that. And that's not a position that helps you grow toward Christ. See, we've got to re- one of the things we've got to do, and I'm not just talking about in the world, I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about us as followers of Jesus. One of the things we've got to do is we've got to rethink what the term blessing means. Because we always use it when things go our way. My wife was diagnosed with, you know, some disease. You, that's, you know, that's your story. My wife was diagnosed with cancer. She was dying. We go one day. We've been praying. We go to the doctor. The doctor says, cancer's gone. And we say, man, God blessed us. I work hard. My boss comes in and tells me, next year you are getting that $100,000 raise. What do you say? Man, I've been blessed. We say that when everything goes our way. But here's the thing, being blessed has nothing to do with whether or not we get what we want. Being blessed has to do with what God wants for us. And it might be the case that one of the things God wants for us right now is a difficult time. That one of the things God wants for you is a trial in your life so that your faith can be tested, so that you can develop perseverance, so that your faith will become mature and complete, and so that you can help somebody else as they get ready to go through that. 
My wife and I were having a conversation about that just this week. About how if something goes our way, we think God is good. But we have to get to the point to where we say, you know what, God, if it doesn't go the way I want it to, you're still good. God is not good because I get what I want. God is just good. And sometimes we will have difficulty. And God will use that difficulty to grow your faith. So how do we, how do we get to a point in our life where, where we can start to understand that, where we can start to see things through God's perspective? Well, I skipped over a couple of verses here. Let's go back to verse 5. Verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, which right there it should just say in parentheses, which is all of you. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. See, wisdom is the, wisdom is the practical means that will help us endure the difficulty of everyday life. When, when we get ready to go through trials, how do, we, how do we deal with those? How do we understand those? How do we even make sense of what that means for our life? It's wisdom. Wisdom is the practical means that will help us endure the difficulty of everyday life. And I love, I love that verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, that all you have to do is ask for it. You lack wisdom, he should ask God. And then the promise that is so amazing. This is the part that blows my mind. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously only to those who have caught up on their tithe. Is that what it says? Does it say who gives generously to only those who have read the Bible a lot this week? Who gives generously only to those who have always made good decisions? Who gives generously to only those who are still in their first marriage? Who gives generously to only those whose kids act like they should act all the time? It doesn't say any of that. What does it say? It says, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now check this out. This is what's so amazing. Chances are that something you're going through is completely of your own making. In fact, 99% of the stuff that I've gone through in my life, it's because I created it. It was my fault. Created by my attitude. Created by my actions. And chances are, you're exactly the same way. And this is what God says. It doesn't matter if you created the mess you're in, or if the mess you're in just fell in your lap out of nowhere. It says... When you're in the middle of the mess, if you want to figure out what to do, ask God and He will give you wisdom without finding fault. What an amazing promise that is. That the next time I get in a mess that I've created, when I ask God what to do, He's not going to say, well, Cliff, I would tell you, but you've been pretty stupid lately. It says He will give. And, and the great part is, is He doesn't want to keep it a secret. He's got wisdom, and it's not like he wants to be the swami sitting up on a hill that you've got to climb Mount Everest and get up to him and beg him for an answer, and then he might give it to you. It says, just ask me. I've got the wisdom, and I want to share it with you. I want to give it to you without finding fault. Then the next part 
tells us, though, that there is something that we've got to be aware of as we ask. Verse 6 says this, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, when it says the word doubt there in verse 6, we're not talking about doubting whether God is real or not, doubting the existence of God. We're talking about whether or not you doubt the character of God. When God says, I want to give you wisdom, and I want to do that without finding fault in you, do you really believe that? See, it's easy sometimes to doubt the promises of God. Just uh, just last year, I remember I was praying. I was struggling with some stuff and just going through just some personal difficulty. And I remember as I was praying, I was thinking I just read a promise of God in the Scripture. And I was thinking about that promise. And as I was praying, I remember I told God, I said, God, I don't doubt that you're real and I don't doubt that you can do this. I said, but I just wonder if you want to do it for me. I wasn't doubting God's existence. I wasn't doubting if God could do all the things He said He could do. I just was doubting whether or not He wanted to do it for me. Because there's still a part of me, and maybe you struggle with this, there's still a part of me that Sometimes I feel like I've got to be good enough that I've got to earn those promises of God. I've got to earn those blessings of God. And that if I mess up and, and I, things are going well and I do something and I mess up, then I think God's going to say, oh, the blessings are gone now. I was going to give you the wisdom clip until you did that. Now it's gone. See, when, when we ask God for wisdom, we have to understand the character of God that He wants to Give us those things, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. He wants to give us wisdom because His character is good. His character doesn't change. And even though we've created the mess, He wants to help us by giving us wisdom to know how to deal with everyday life. In verse 12, the end of James 1 through 12, verse 12 says this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him see that's the ultimate perspective change what is this life all about this life is all about getting us ready for the next life this life here is all about preparing us for eternity with Jesus in heaven that last song that we sang right before the message started, and that, that last verse, it talks about one day when we'll be standing before Jesus. And then we'll still have more of a reason then than we've ever had to sing praises to Him. Why? Because we'll be face to face with Him. And for the first time, we'll understand what everything's about. For the first time, we'll really feel the love that He's given us. For the first time, we'll really be clean completely of everything that would hold us back from Him. The old sin nature will be gone. Because we'll be in His presence. And verse 12 tells us there that we will receive the crown of life. Now, not everybody 
Only those who believe Jesus and their faith is proved genuine over time. They've persevered. Those who, those who don't fall away, not just those who got baptized and they felt real warm and fuzzy inside one Sunday, but those who gave their life to Jesus and Jesus transformed them and he held on to them because he, they were his from the beginning and they persevered to the end. That when that happens, we will receive the crown of life. So you are being prepared every day. You're a follower of Jesus. You're being prepared every day for the next life. We talked about how grow toward Christ is a fancy word that, that, that means sanctification. It means being made clean and being made more like Jesus up until the day that you die and you get into the presence of Jesus and then you are glorified, glorification. And that's what verse 12 is talking about. That one day that this perspective change of understanding that difficult is good, understanding that money is not the answer, understanding that if we need wisdom, we just ask for it. One day all of that will come true in the, the most basic, purest sense that it ever could when we stand face to face with Jesus. I want to I close with a word of prayer. As I do that, I just want you to think about how your perspective might need to change, how, how all of our perspective needs to change. I don't know what you're going through right now. You might be right in the middle of a difficulty. You might be right in the middle of a trial and it's got you all out of whack. Maybe you're living your life. You would say, yeah, money is not the answer, but you're living your life like it is. Maybe that needs to change. Whatever's going on in your, your life right now, I want you to understand that Jesus has a plan for you and he's preparing you every day for the life that you're going to live with him in heaven one day, if you're his. If you're not His, I want to tell you that you can be. You can accept Him today. Admitting that you're, you're sinful. Admitting that you need help. And just praying and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I've messed up and I need you. I believe in the cross. So I'm going to pray for us. Then I want us to go home today living in the perspective that we're being prepared for heaven. That we've got glory awaiting us. We've got perfection coming up. We've got unconditional love of Jesus in our future, in our present, and in our past. And we can live strong every day because of that. Let's pray. Father God, help us today, each one of us, to truly understand what you want for our lives. Help us to understand that if we're living in, in relationship with you, then we're blessed. No matter what our bank account says or our health situation says, but we're blessed because we're yours. Help us as we as we move day in and day out into work and school and all the places we go, help us to remember that you died for us and you wait for us in heaven to join you there. We look forward to that day. Continue to prepare us. 
Continue to make us more like you. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.